Sometimes when I'm looking at a puzzle, I'll, I can look at all of the pieces and I can say, if I have studied the picture, I can actually then say, pick up a piece and know where it belongs. So when it comes to working on that section of the puzzle, I know what I have and what I don't have. Are they particularly good at solving jigsaw puzzles? Well, the key is solving a lot of different puzzles this back at, uh, is uh, sitting back and thinking first. Right, right. Which I imagine is probably a lot easier when the puzzle is on a table in front of you as opposed to uh, inside of you. I have a little story about that if you have a minute. Canadian Patient Safety Institute presents Patient, a nonfiction medical podcast about people trying to fix modern healthcare from the inside out. I'm your host, Jordan Bloom. Judith Maxwell is a note-taker. I'm a very organized person. This is a profound understatement. And um, as you probably have gathered from all of my notes. And notes are really useful when the only clues in the mystery that you're trying to solve are happening to you. This season of Patient, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're telling one story across three episodes, and that story is a mystery. You could say that it's a puzzle, which is fitting, because its protagonist is Judith Maxwell, a solver of puzzles. After a while, I decided that I had to keep really good tabs on things in case I needed to give that information to a physician so that they would be able to help me, which obviously for eight years, nobody was able to. Eight years ago. So let's start there. I think how it started was sad, actually. I, I will tell you how the story started. I had diabetes, type 2 diabetes. It's not serious, it's mild. In 2018, the summer of July, my family doctor decided he wanted to do the best he could for my type 2 mild diabetes and sent me to the clinic at the local hospital. The doctor there um, spent 10 minutes with me and said she would like to double my medications. Judith has type 2 diabetes, which can be a very serious condition, uh, if not a relatively common one. Roughly one in three people will develop it in their lifetime. And she'd been on medication for her diabetes, taking several common drugs, the doses of which were increased when her family doctor sent her to see a specialist. She doubled the metformin, doubled my Crestor, and gave me Diamicron. And with that, I left. But I went to England with my granddaughter for my final trip to my birthplace. And I was very sick. I would wake up in the middle of the night, take my blood sugar to see what was happening. When I came home, 
um, from that holiday, I realized then that it was the medication. I went back to see my family doctor and said, no, I'm sorry, I can't take all this extra medication. I said I was just going to stop it. I think it took a while for my body to return to normal. But by then, I was having other reactions. Judith was taken off the doubled medication, but she was still experiencing symptoms. So Judith's doctor put her on a new medication, a collection of medications to treat the symptoms she'd experienced in London. Eventually, I had the uh, atrial fib reaction. It was funny because it was New Year's Day, and they were celebrating a little there. But that would be the first time that I had um, a serious AFib like that. When I had AFib attacks, it was always at night and often very early in the morning. I would get absolutely incredible readings from a blood pressure monitor that I was using read something like uh, 210 over 194 over 190 and we called the Ontario Healthline who said get into uh, the emergency department. So on New Year's Eve 2009, Judith had her first serious AFib attack, which is shorthand for atrial fibrillation. AFib is essentially an irregular heartbeat. It's the abnormal firing of electrical impulses that causes the atria, which is the top chamber of the heart, to kind of quiver or fibrillate. Signs and symptoms of an AFib attack include palpitations, the sort of flip-flopping feeling in your chest, uh, weakness, fatigue, lightheadedness, dizziness, and confusion. And it's important to know that there are a couple different types of AFib attacks. A little bit of information you can look up yourself. There are two types of AFib. There's a regular AFib that goes on constantly that you may never, ever know you have AFib. It's just that your heart, it would uh, be fluttering away on a regular basis. That's the best way I can describe it. And then there's the other kind of AFib. The kind of AFib that Judith had. It's called paroxysmal AFib. And AFib, that AFib, you can, the best example is written up in uh, the Mayo Clinic. Look up paroxysmal AFib. And it's occasional. And now, fluttering AFib, you should have, you should be having checked up and you should take medication for. And uh, usually it's um, a blood thinner in case to ward off uh, a heart attack. So there are several different types of AFib, each with different frequencies and intensities of the irregularity of the heartbeat. And Judith is diagnosed and prescribed medication to treat her paroxysmal AFib. And as is the case for many people with AFib, uh, the regularity of the attacks meant she began visiting the hospital more and more often. I would go into the emergency maybe four to six times a year with AFib. And it would always happen really between midnight and about three in the morning. And um, I got to the point where before I went to bed at night, I would set out my clothing. Um, we would uh, make sure that the dog had had her walk. And um, we were ready to jump into the clothing and off to the emergency department any time that was necessary because it seemed to be so very urgent, and I just simply got used to this. And while things have been confusing and scary and hard for Judith up until this point, it's right about here 
right as Judith is starting to get used to those late night trips to the ER, used to her piling up diagnosis, when she's starting to feel like maybe she can see the solution to the puzzle of what exactly is happening to her in sight, it's right then when things go completely sideways. The rest of the story after this quick break. Patient is brought to you by the Canadian Patient Safety Institute. Established by Health Canada in 2003, the Canadian Patient Safety Institute works with governments, health organizations, leaders, and healthcare providers to engage the public and to inspire extraordinary improvement in patient safety. To learn more about CPSI, visit patientsafetyinstitute.ca. So, you know, when you think about taking many medications, Chris Power, CEO of Canadian Patient Safety Institute. And we know that two out of three Canadians, that's 66% of people over the age of 65, take at least five different prescription medications. And one in four Canadians, so over a quarter, over the age of 65, take at least 10 different prescription medications. So that's huge. And then you need to think about the risks of having multiple medication. And, and there are tremendous risks for that of, you know, the, Different, different interactions happening that weren't intended. Tremendous risk of taking multiple medications. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm going to play you some tape from my conversation with Judith about the puzzle she was working on on the morning we spoke. I never did them growing up or growing through the years. And I found a very, uh, a very good designer who is now dead, has been dead 10 years, in the States, Charles Wysocki. They are very challenging, but they're also very humorous. To look at a Waisaki puzzle is to look at an image you'd most readily describe as dense. They're these quaint sort of pastoral scenes, and the eye doesn't really pass over them in a clean line. You find yourself jumping around trying to make sense of all these little details. And to zoom in too close on any one, and you're lost. The confusion and depression came later. It came in year, about year six, when I realized that I could not replace what I'd lost in my lifestyle. I wasn't really doing any more art. Let's jump back. Um, over the years, over the seven years, I would uh, go from the emergency, I would spend five days in their continuing care unit. The AFib diagnosis and the increasing regularity of the attacks all meant that Judith was spending a lot more time in the hospital. And while she was there, doctors began noticing and diagnosing other symptoms. Such as uh, um, irritable bowel, and so eventually spent time in uh, um, separated in their um, special unit. And this list of symptoms kept growing. I spent four days in hospital for observation. There were 11 medications not noticed. And growing. They were always x-raying me. I had constant x-rays on my heart, my legs, my back because of the pain. And growing. Um, they sent me for an MRI for the kidney. And this is maybe what makes solving a puzzle like Judith so tough. It's the fact that having more clues doesn't necessarily make it easier to solve. These are all of the results of doctors trying to decide what was wrong with me because in those seven years, seven and a half years, there was simply no diagnosis for my problem. Finding more symptoms doesn't necessarily make it easier to diagnose. 
I had two colonoscopies to rule out other problems. And it was the gastroenterologist who said to me that uh, your digestive system is having a difficulty in processing medications that you swallow. So what I would suggest is that you take them um, sublingual or liquid. And in the meantime, because you are, have type 2 diabetes, I'm going to give you um, insulin. And I've been on insulin and give myself insulin ever since then. I, they sent me to a sleep lab, again, geriatric. They tried to give me a social um, worker, and it was all pain, and it was and it was and it was and it was and it and it was and it was and it was and 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 four neurologists, and another four cardiologists. Then they worried about it overall because I was very depressed. What was it like before all this? I played golf, I swam, I had a little golf cart. I had to give up absolutely everything. I moved to Peterborough to live in a house. Um, my friends from years before in Peterborough had moved on or died. And um, so having given that up, uh, I felt very alone. Not want to talk to anybody, not to see anybody. My cleaning lady came up from Bowmanville to Peterborough because she said she used to come and see me and she was worried that I might do something to myself. And she said she didn't want that to happen, and, but she said she'd come in to vacuum the bedroom and I'd be sitting on the side of the bed in the dark crying. My granddaughter helped a lot because she was doing her PhD in psychology and she's now graduated as a doctor. Um, she just said to me, Grandma, go and sit out in the sunshine, take a coffee and watch the world walk by and keep doing something you like every day. So I followed her advice and I slowly rebuilt my life somewhat and uh, so on. Yeah, it, it's, uh, when I look back on it, it, it was a pretty crappy, uh, crappy for my husband, I would like to say. Really crappy for my husband. Um, because he became my caregiver, and during the years of uh, depression, he never left me alone. In 2008, Judith went to her family doctor. And eight years, 22 doctors, and untold diagnosis and prescriptions later, we find her here, in deep depression, sitting on the end of her bed, still with no clue what exactly is causing her symptoms, what exactly is happening to her. I would suspect that it's way more prevalent than we even know, you know, that we have any idea about. That's Chris Power, who we heard from earlier, speaking on the depression Judith faced as a person dealing with a chronic yet undiagnosed illness. That lots of times, you know, diagnosing patients is 
is part science and part art and part guesswork sometimes, right? When you really, when you're stumped and you don't know, and so there's lots of trial and error that happens and different medications tried. So I think it probably happens. I, I would suspect that Judith's story is not a one-of at all. I think there are probably lots of them out there, but hard, hard to know, right? Just lots of people go for years and don't realize that that's what the case is. Every once in a while, I fall. I don't want you to think that I'm always strong. Every once in a while, I, I, I say to myself, will this ever change? Eight years, countless symptoms, no answer. We often, as Canadians, think of the healthcare system as the repair shop. We're going to speak with academics and activists. It's almost a, an invisible source of death and illness in the way we, we currently look at the system patients and providers. So we know how insidious and how often it happens. To try and find the answer. And I laughed and giggled over it because there was my answer right in front of me. Judith Maxwell, solver of puzzles, finally solves the puzzle inside her. On the next episode of Patient. Big thanks to our sponsor, Canadian Patient Safety Institute. If you're interested in the subject of the season, you should visit patientsafetyinstitute.ca and search five questions to ask about your medication. You'll find a checklist of five essential questions to ask when your doctor or healthcare provider starts, stops, or changes any of your medications. It's interesting and relevant to the story we're telling. Check it out.